secret what we're trying to do for our sermon series this time of year. It's pretty simple. We see it at the top of the bulletins every single Sunday, Genesis 12 through 25. Today, we take the next step on that journey to the end of the sermon series, and we see today how bold faith transform into bold action in the life of Abram. I invite you, if you're at home, to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14, and if you're here in the church, open your bulletins up to chapter or page 10, and we'll read that together, or I will read that. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ariok king of Elisar, Hedorlaomer king of Elam, and Tidal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Bersha king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Adma, Shimaber king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For 12 years they had been subject to Kedalomer, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedalomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shaviv, Kiriathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddam against Ketolomer, king of Elam. Tidal king of Goyim, Amraphel king of Shinar, and Ariok king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went to them. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out to the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Ketolomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaba, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread, or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anner, Eshcol, and Mamre. 
Let them have their share. This is the word of the Lord. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Alex Honnold knew exactly what he was willing to risk everything for, and he knew exactly how he was going to do it. There were plenty of people who had climbed El Capitan. It's a rock in Yosemite National Park that has dimensions basically like this, and is as tall as some of the skyscrapers that you can see in downtown Manhattan. Plenty of people had climbed that rock in Yosemite. Plenty of people had even done it alone. But no one in the world had ever climbed that rock solo, without help, without support, and definitely not without ropes. But Alex knew that he wanted to be the first one. And as he looked up at that daunting dawn wall in front of him, all he had to do was take a deep breath and have confidence in the one thing that he knew how to do best in the world, which was how to climb rocks. He knew that if he took one bad step on that rock, he could miss his step and lose his footing, and he could be in some serious trouble after that. He knew that waiting too long to go for the next place that he had to put his hand could put him in a serious bind for the rest of his time trying to ascend this rock. When you're trying to do something extraordinary and when you're trying to do such a task as difficult as that, you have to have confidence and you have to have strong convictions in what you're doing. Today in our section of scripture, Abram has two huge decisions that he has to make. One of them comes with his family, and the other comes in front of two kings. And what Abram shows us today is that it takes bold faith to have bold action in your life, actions with your family, and actions that you can take for the rest of your life. And for Abram, it was a no-brainer that what he was going to do for Lot. It was a no-brainer that he was going to put his life on the line to save his nephew, Lot. Lot found himself in a serious pickle. He had decided, we heard this last week, that he, he had decided that he wanted to have his choice of where to go. And he decided to put himself as close to Sodom and as close to the good life as possible. But this good life has been flipped completely upside down as we read about that Ketelomer and his band of kings have been running roughshod through the Canaan countryside. And now Lot has found himself captured and all of his possessions too have been captured along with it. The way Abram hears about it is that someone who had escaped all the carnage that was happening in Canaan had come and run to Abram to tell him that his nephew Lot had been taken captured. Now Abram is faced with the decision to let Lot reap the new life that he had sowed and reap the harvest of the new life that he was trying to make, or he's going to have to put himself in front of these kings and have to battle to save his nephew, Lot. And for Abram, he didn't even need a second to spare or a second to think about what he was going to do. Lot's his family. Lot's one of his own. And for family... You don't even have to think twice. He's physical family, but more than that, Lot is also spiritual family. It doesn't matter that the Lord, that Lot had decided to separate himself, and it doesn't matter to Abram that he is going to have to go in front of a hot, streaking king to get Lot back. Lot is worth it to him. Lot is in his corner. Lot is part of his family. And for family, you do not have to even think twice. He'll drop everything in a moment to get one of his own. Now, it's true, Abram could have played hardball with Lot. He could have said, Lot, you found yourself in this pickle. You're going to have to figure your way 
out of this. But why would he do that? Abram, as the leader of his household, is making a bold statement that he was not about to let anyone in his family have to face this kind of trouble. He wasn't about to leave someone behind, even though that person tried to leave Abram and his family behind. He wasn't about to let someone get stuck in a situation where they didn't have to. Here's another important thing that we have to remember. This isn't a moment in Abram's life where he can sit back and think anymore. The time to think and the time to assess and the time to pray about these decisions, that time is gone. Abram has to act, and Abram has to act now. Abram has to be bold. If he sits back and let Ketelomer basically keep attacking and winning throughout the Canaan countryside, if you look in your Bibles after this, all the places that we've just named and all those kings, these are the dimensions of the promised land. And if Abram allows Ketelomer to keep going and attacking through the Canaan countryside, there's not going to be a whole lot more of the promised land left to inherit. Well, there. If he lets Lot continue to be captured and let a day or two go by, there's a good chance he's never going to see his nephew Lot again. Faith produces action, not apathy. Faith produces movement, not stagnation. I think sometimes we can get caught up in a dilemma within ourselves. We can get caught up what I'll call the pious pondering cycle where we want to put chapter and verse and we want to think and overthink and overthink and overthink and put time and effort and just put time into making our decisions right. But Abram doesn't have that kind of time. Abram has to act and he has to make a quick decision and Abram has to have confidence in what he knows to be true to be able to make the decision to go after his nephew Lot. It's time to get to work. There are times in our life when we need to put time into thinking through our decisions, but there's also moments in our life where we need to be strong in the convictions that we have in our faith, and we need to act. We need to be bold. And what Abram is doing this morning is he's giving us a prime example of letting his faith guide his decision-making, his faith in the promise that God had given him back in chapter 12, and his faith that God has promised that he will protect him, and he will guide him, and he will look with him. So Abram goes and he defends what is rightfully his. And Abram is showing exactly what it means to love someone else before you love yourself. Two weeks ago in chapter 12, we saw that Abram was hiding behind his wife in Egypt. Now he's about to go after a band of kings and he is about to be bold. It's one thing to defend our families, but it's a whole different thing to defend ourselves and defend our faith in front of the rest of the world. And Abram's second decision that he has in this text is in front of two kings. And it comes on the cuffs of a grand victories over Ketelomer and his crew. And the word and the, note, the news about Abram's grand name is being made heard all throughout the Canaan countryside, far past the trees of Mamre and Hebron. Now all of the kings and all the leaders want to hear about this new upcoming commander that is making his way through Canaan. And Moses sets our sights on a specific interaction that Abram has with the king of Salem and with the king of Sodom. And with all of their men and with all of Abram's men there, there is an audience of hundreds that are waiting to see how Abram will interact 
with this new king, with this newfound wealth and this newfound power. What's shocking in this text isn't who Abram is dealing with, but it's how he deals with them. Here we find Melchizedek, who's a king and a priest of God Most High. And what Melchizedek recognizes immediately is what has happened in Abram's life. He recognizes as God has been the one who has given Abram's all of these newfound blessings of wealth, newfound blessings of treasure, newfound treasure of territory. He recognizes immediately that God has been working in Abram's life. And he recognizes that the God that he worships is the same God that has been blessing Abram throughout this whole time. And now he blesses him. And Melchizedek praises the Lord for what has happened to his brother Abram. And Abram, in response to this message of truth and, to, and in a response to this confessor of the true God, he gives a tenth of all that he has, a tenth of everything that he's just won, a tenth of all the wealth that he had already been gaining throughout this life. It's unprompted. It's completely instinctual for Abram to do this, and it's a completely natural response that Abram has to the truth. To a genuine representative of the Lord, the Lord who had made this great promise to Abram, and Abram to someone who he is sure is confident and confesses that the same faith that he believes in, he is willing to put his possessions on the line. And he is willing to stake his possessions and his wealth and treasure that this person believes the same thing that I do. Because Melchizedek is family. Melchizedek is one of his own. Melchizedek is one of his people. But more important, Melchizedek is one of God's people. And for those in God's family, you don't even have to think twice. Which is the exact reason why he can't take this offer from the king of Sodom or any other heathen leader. It won't give glory to God. But more important to Abram than any other offer that any king could possibly give him or any other accolade that Abram could possibly receive from anyone else is the one thing that he was holding onto. And he was holding on to that promise that God gave him in chapter 12. I want to read it for you again. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. More simply, sure foundation, he's holding on to the word of God. He's holding on to the word of God as he knows it, and he know, he's holding on to the word of God because he knows it's the only secure and stable thing in his life. Going into this interaction with these kings, he's not focused on the politics of it. He's not focused on the geopolitical factors or the ramifications that could come out of it. He's not assessing the social situation and what he should say or what he shouldn't say. What Abram's doing is he's focused on the word of God. And he's letting that conviction and faith guide his actions, leading him to be bold in front of these powerful rulers. And for Abram, it's the only thing that matters. Because of that promise, he can go and he can go and act boldly in the rest of the world. Abram has his promise, but you also have yours. And your promise is based in the same God as Abram, as Isaac, as Jacob, as Moses, Moses and Melchizedek. That promise that you hold on to so tightly is based in a God who sent his son down to this world to pay for the punishment of every sin that's ever been committed. 
the promise that you hold to so securely. It's based on the Son, the Savior, who died on the cross for all of your sins. But that promise is also based on that Savior who rose again and who promises that all who believe in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That's a promise that can't ever be taken away from you. And that's a promise that's been worked in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And that's a promise that you and I both know to be very, very true. And holding on to this promise, sin, death, and the devil, they'll be no match for you. And you have everything that you need to go out into the world. Holding on to this promise, you can go out into the world and act boldly just as you know that you're able to. This promise isn't something that can be picked from your pocket. This is a promise that can never be taken away. Holding on to this promise, you can rejoice that there's other people in this room and other people in the world who believe the same message that you do. Holding on to this promise, you can be strong in the face of stress, in the face of danger, in the face of any other difficulty that you are confronted with daily, weekly, in the months to come, or in the years to come too. Holding on to this promise, you can be content with what God has given you. And you know that the successes that you will have in your life will be according to God's time. And you can be content with just that. What Abram has shown us this morning is that bold action comes from bold faith. So sure foundation, let yours be bold too. I don't know all of you as well as I want to just yet, but after this Vicar Challenge is done and I'm in and I get to visit all of you guys, I'll know you guys a lot better. So be ready for it and prepare for it. I don't know you guys as well as I want to just yet, but I do know that you guys are faced with your own special circumstances with family members and with different opportunities with work to share your faith. You might not have someone in your family who's going to be captured, but I do know that you might have family members who are stepping closer and closer and taking every step as close as they can to get right up to the line with Sodom and the good life. And they're in danger of being caught along with the waves. You might not have to make the same kinds of decisions as Abram in front of kings or rulers, but I do know that you have friends or coworkers who need to hear a bold confession of the faith that you know to be true, even if they aren't expecting it either. You have your moments to act boldly, and you have the words that you are able to say to them too. And we need people like you to be able to do that. To be able to grow this church and be able to have more people know about the word of God, we also need messengers like you to go out into the world with strong convictions of the faith that you know to be true and let them know about it. Let them hear about the good news of the gospel that you hear every single Sunday here and invite them to have that same experience with you here too. But bold actions can only come from bold convictions in the faith. So let yours be bold too. And go out and show the world what you're made of. Amen.